Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. The moment it's coming. Does that just like birth like summer camp jive in your heart? I'm so excited. I can't even like put English words in a proper sentence because I'm so excited. Guys, as Alex mentioned earlier, summer camp is coming. It's coming, it's coming. And guys, can I, um, can I give you a little celebration? I don't know if this is public knowledge yet. Um, so uh, I don't know. I'm going to throw it out there because Michelle gave me the number today. Guys, uh, Sunday, um, you may not have been aware, but we had a dessert auction. Okay, right? Lots of desserts, experiences went out um, because the people of NGC, the people of Northwest Gospel Church, care about students getting to camp. And do you want to know how much money we raised? Yes. You don't want to know. You're not ready. Do you want to know? You know? Shh, shh. Oh, 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 think more. It was, wait for it, I need a drum roll. I need a proper drum roll, okay? It was a flat... 15,000. Guys, man, so what that means is that if you have a friend who needs to be at camp with you, they're coming, okay? That means if you're sitting here and you're like, $225 camp, I don't think I can make it, guess what? You're coming, okay? So, like I said, people of NGC, they care that you are coming to camp. We will get you to camp. Are you ready? All right. I love summer, guys. I'm so ready for summer. Can I tell you the thing I hate about summer, which I know those are strong words. Um, Wasp mosquitoes, those are good answers. Um, Has anybody this week been punched in the face by their allergies? Guys, it's the worst. Last night, I was trying to go to bed, and it was like hot in my house. And you can't sleep when it's hot. Nobody can sleep when it's hot, right? Right. And so I open my window, and for a person with allergies, that's the worst thing you can do, is to sleep with the window open. You feel me? You feel me? So I woke up, and I was just like, ah. I think I woke up at 1 a.m. because I couldn't breathe. I'm like, maybe I have asthma? I don't know. I'm like, ah. And so um, if I make some strange gurgling noises up here, I really apologize. Um, my, I just can't breathe, okay? So if I pass out, take me to the hospital. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's good to be with you guys. It's good to be with you citizens. I have... A question for you tonight. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? We're continuing in our series in Revelation. And the question I have for you is, have you ever um, been in a situation where your fate is in the hand of another person? Yes. I hear small whispers. Yes. Where you have some kind of goal, you have some kind of desire, you have some kind of outcome that, but there's like this person that their yes or no, their go, no go is in the way of whatever it is you're trying to get to, right? They're the door, they're the key, they're what's getting you to what you want. Some of you seniors, are they here today? Seniors, are you here today? Yes, you're here because you have senioritis. Um, uh, ha- some of you had your, uh, what is it called? Senior boards? Is that the proper term? Right, your senior exit interview, you've been working on a project all semester, all year, probably through your cumulative schooling, and uh, you present it in front of the board, and they decide whether you graduate or not, right? How many of you are graduating? You made it! Yes, yes, right? So that person, that person on the board, they tell you, 
Yes or no? Um, some of you uh, seniors, again, maybe juniors at this point, you've submitted college applications. Yes. And there's this, that moment when you submit that college application, it's like in the mail and you're like, I don't know. It's out of my hands at this point. That person, they tell me whether it goes. They have the final say. Um, you know, if you've ever tried out for a sport or a team or where's my band nerds? Yes, I know you exist and I know you don't get shout outs a lot, so I'm there, right? You have to try out for a certain band or like the upper level band, right? Or a certain music group. Um, we have any uh, play, theater, musical people? Yes, right? You have to try out for a certain part. These people that you are presenting yourself to, you're trying out for, um, they have the ability to say, go, no, go, right? They have the final say. Their, their yes is the key to your future. Um, some of you in the future will be doing job interviews. Some of you have done a job interview. How many of you are employed at the moment? Mostly adults. Garrett, you are not employed. <laughs> uh, yes, congratulations, seniors, right? Um, can I tell you a moderately embarrassing story? I have a few moderately embarrassing stories for you today. Um, uh, so my very first, like, real grown-up job, so I've worked, I did a few retails, I did side jobs, you know, under the table kind of stuff, and, but my first real grown-up job was, yes, it was a grown-up job, at the library. Yeah, Lila knows, right? The library, it's a real grown-up job. You know why? Because you get a wage, you get benefits, you get retirement, right? I'm like, I can't mess this up. Okay, I was 19 years old. And uh, it's a process. I had to take like two tests to like, yes, it's the library. Okay, I know, I know, I know. When I was like first interviewing for the library, I was like, Lila, the library? And she's like, it's a good job. And I was like, the library. It is, it's good. Um, and so I, I took the two tests, I passed the test, and I'm sitting in front of the interviewers, and these two people decide my fate. Okay, I've been, I was unemployed for probably a year at that point. Well, actually... I was 19, so probably my whole life. But um, I didn't have a job. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta make something out of my life. I was graduated. I was out of college or out of high school, um, and so they're going through the questions. And I feel like I'm really good, like on the spot, like I'm really good under pressure. And then like they asked me, like, okay, so theoretical situation. You're on your way to work, and you realize you're running late for work. What do you do? And I went, that happens all the time. <laughs> In that moment, you know when like all the dread just fills every cell of your body and you're like, what did I just do? And I'm like, I just, I just, I just killed myself right there. Like it's over, it's done. And I try to like, I think I talked around. I was like, oh, well, yeah, sometimes I'm running late, but I know that I shouldn't do that. Um, and uh, and I, don't, I don't know how I got out of it. And I'm like driving home away from the library that day and I'm like calling my mom and I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I got it. <laughs> like, there's no way. I'm 19 years old that is, like, like regularly running late. There's no, they're not going to hire a teenager. Um, and so in that moment, right, my fate was in their hands. They had the final say. There was yes or no. Spoiler alert. I got the job. I don't know why, but I did. And I was, I was at the library for five years, but... We have moments like this through our lives, right, where there are situations where there is somebody that their decision, their final say is the yes or no to wherever you're going, right? It's your fate. It's the door. It's the key to the door that you want to go through. We have all kinds of those different occasions through our lives. And um, this series that we're in is we're in the, the, the book of Revelation, right, the last book of the Bible. Uh, we've been faced with the ultimate test, right, the big test, the ultimate test final say, the go, no go, right? Revelation poses the question, like, at the end of it all, 
At the end of it all, when you're face to face with creator God, the one who put the universe together, do you have enough? (laughs) Are you good enough? What is the final say? And we see that throughout the book of Revelation, John, who's seeing this vision and writing this letter, is hearing this call from Jesus that those who, bless you, (laughs) Uh, I get it, allergy season, Um, those who make it to the end, right, are the ones who overcome, right, the ones who, um, at the end of the time, right, at the final say, they overcome. And so the big question of Revelation is, will God's people overcome? We've been looking at, you see the candles up here, right, the, the, we're, in the book of Revelation, we're looking at these seven lampstands that represent seven churches. And I realized today as we lit the candles that someone with the nickname of Calamity Courtney should not be preaching around fire. But um, if I catch my hair on fire, which I've done before, Michelle saved me from that one. Um, just let me know. <laughs> um, but we've been looking at these seven churches and these seven lampstands, and we find out something really profound about these churches. And it's like, like Sam's been saying, it's not God pen pal, like from a distance, like writing this letter to this church. It's like Jesus is writing to these churches while walking amongst the lampstands, right? He is, he's with them. And what we're finding in, in, these, uh, in these letters is that the final say for these churches, whether they overcome, whether they're good enough, whether enoughness is enough, right? All has to do with what they do with Jesus and his word, whether these churches overcome, whether at the final say they get the door right into the kingdom of God, into eternal life, into life with God forever, has everything to do and only to do with what they do with Jesus and his word. And so tonight we're going to look at the sixth letter. And this letter is, I did this last time, I didn't turn it on. It's on now, a letter to the Philadelphia, Church of Philadelphia. You're like, what? Philadelphia's in the Bible? Yes, and it has nothing to do with cream cheese or Sam's favorite team, the Eagles. I know sports things. It's exciting. <laughs> Did I get that right, though? Okay, thank you. All right, so the Church of Philadelphia. And what we're going to find out is that this church is doing their best to be faithful, right, in a city that's really hard. So welcome, welcome everybody to Philadelphia. Probably as you're reading through the seven churches, you're like, this is the only one I can pronounce. Like, what's, what's a Sardis? What's a Thyatira, Thyatria? I don't, I don't know, right? Church of Philadelphia. I recently had the opportunity to go to Philadelphia, which is really exciting. Um, yes, the Philly cheesesteaks are better there. And two, it's very worth it. Um, so embarrassing story number two for the day. Um, so where I was in Philadelphia for like, mm, like six hours, I don't even know. Um, and everywhere there's signs everywhere about like the city of brotherly love. It's brotherly love. It's the city of brotherly love. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, cause I'm such a logical thinker. I was like, Hmm, how do you quantify brotherly love? Like what is the level of brother? Like how many good acts does this city have to do in order to be the city of brotherly love? Like how do they get that term? Like who decides who's the most brotherly loving city? Right. I'm thinking this through. And then I come back. And I'm like getting ready to like, you know, Sam tells us he's on vacation, holler Sam. And he uh, is like, oh, you're going to go to this church, Church of Philadelphia. And I start looking like, oh, it means something in Greek, right? Phila is like love of. And I was like, Philadelphia means brotherly love. <laughs> ah, 
yeah, I'm like, okay, okay, that's why. So the city of brotherly love, but this city looked really good on the outside. Um, it has like, it was a really fertile land, right? They were best known in the Roman Empire for their like wine. They had a lot of good things going for them. You think, man, Philadelphia is a great place to live on the outside, but it's one of those places where you live at at your own risk. They were also really well known for earthquakes, so not too unsimilar from here, right? We haven't really had an earthquake in a while, but anybody know that we live on this thing called the Ring of Fire? Yes, yes, at any given time, the West Coast could fall into the ocean. Aren't you excited? Yay! <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, no more school, is that what I heard? Yes, you will be drowning, but okay. Uh, <laughs> right, so it's a live at your own risk kind of place. And uh, that wasn't unlike the social situation for Christians there in Philadelphia. So in Philadelphia, they was known as a mini Athens. So Athens, home of, at that time, the Roman Empire, uh, key of culture. And the thing about um, the Roman Empire at that time is who you worship, literally, who you worship determined who your allegiances were to. Your allegiance is to Rome. You worship the Roman gods. And so here in Philadelphia, it's like a, a mini Athens. And so everywhere there are statues of Roman gods and, and how you relate to them, if you worship them, determines how you get to live in this city. And so this, these Christians who would say, no, nah, your God's what, it's a piece of rock. It's a statue. It's not a real God. I, we worship the true God. We worship the real God. Right? They're receiving persecution from the outside. They're receiving um, just opposition and oppression. And so this, this church already is like receiving a lot of persecution from the outside. But then on the inside, they've got these, these people who claim to be God worshipers, true God worshipers. They claim to be Yahweh worshipers. These Jews... Bless you again, man. Get that man a tissue. <laughs> um, uh, in Philadelphia, there was these Jews that were saying, like, yeah, we worship God, but you, Church Philadelphia, no. You can't worship God. Like, you're not true God followers. Like, you're not really real. You're not really Jewish enough for God to love you. And so this Church of Philadelphia was not only receiving uh, persecution from the outside, from people who don't believe in God, but they were receiving persecution from the inside. And so the question that... They, that we pose, that the Church of Philadelphia poses is, what do you do when you're working so hard to be faithful to God, but it's still hard? It's still a struggle. In their lives, they fought at the cost of their lives to be faithful to God in a city that there was no love for Christians. They fought and they still received persecution and oppression and so what do you do? What do we do as Christians when we're trying so hard to be faithful, but you're like, do you see my life? <laughs> do you see what's going on? How do we remain faithful and suffering? And many of you guys, um, whew, you walk around in like mini Philadelphias. You're like, really? Yeah, you walk around in like mini cultural hubs to like the enemy empire, right? The enemy religion. You walk into a school and much like in Philadelphia, who you worship determines your allegiances. And so there's people walking around uh, with their little idols, their little household gods in their pocket. 
You're like, what? I haven't seen a statue. Yeah, it looks a little bit like this, right? You have your little household God in your, in your pocket, and you're on it all the time. And what this thing tells you is if you are good enough, right? How many likes did your Instagram post get? How many friends did you get? How good is your snap game? Did you break that streak? How big of a streak do you have, right? This, it will tell you if your life looks as good as your neighbor's life, if that girl in your class is like having a better life than you, or if that dude is like clearly has more friends than you. And so we walk around with these, right? And as a Christian, how do we, with the temptation of every day to have our allegiances go to the throne of self, how do we fight to be faithful to God? Much like the Christians in Philadelphia, those of you who refuse to worship the same gods as the people in your hallways, they're gonna know, right? You're gonna receive that type of a mockery and even oppression from the outside. You live in enemy territory. And so how do you remain faithful to God in enemy territory? How is it that the end of this life, when iPhones are broken, <laughs> right, and social media doesn't matter anymore, what's the final say? What's the final verdict? Are we known as the ones who overcome, as the ones who are faithful? And so we're going to turn to the Church of Philadelphia, Revelation chapter 3. And uh, we're going to take a look at how this church handled it. Check this out. Revelation 3, 7 through 13. It says, and to, the, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And each letter we've looked at so far, um, you begin with the author. And in this case, the author is Jesus, and there's something, each opening of each letter has been unique. And there's something about um, the opening of the letter, the way Jesus describes himself, that this church, these churches particularly need to know. And what we see about uh, Jesus in this passage, he says, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and who shuts and no one opens. There's this weird, like, metaphor analogy thing going on. We're like, ah, he's got a thing for doors. I don't understand. Um, right, we see that. We're gonna see that Jesus holds the key. Jesus holds the key. I would encourage you to take notes tonight. And that's your first 
point in your notes is that Jesus holds the key. He just holds the key. Currently on my key ring, small key ring, uh, I've been wanting a lanyard, so if anybody feels like, you know, give me a gift at any time, I need a lanyard for my keys, so I will lose them. Just kidding. I will lose them. But so on my key ring, I have four house keys. What? Do I have four houses? No. Okay. I have one house that I live in. Uh, I have two houses for my, my brother's houses. Those are their house keys. And then one for a friend's key. And then I have like the church facility keys so that I can get in and out and do my job here, right? So these keys are a sign of trust, right? You give someone your house key, you're literally giving them access to your home. They're trusting me that I'm not gonna come in and steal, which the only thing I would steal would be their pets. And I've, I won't say that I haven't been tempted. Um, and so, you, you know, you get these keys, you're trusted with them. Um, and it's a really great honor, right? It's a really great honor to be trusted with someone's house key. But I'll say to you that the most dangerous key on my key ring is not the house keys, but it's my car key. Let me tell you why. Not because you could steal my car and run someone over if you want to, which I encourage you not to do, um, but because this key is the only copy of my car key. This is not a Honda. My Honda got totaled. It's a story for another day. Another day. I'll get too emotional over that. Okay. It was not my fault, by the way, this time. So this, <laughs> this is my, the only copy of my car key, which is, again, is very dangerous for someone with the nickname of Calamity Cordy. I'm very surprised I haven't lost it yet, okay? Right, but so there's a difference between when you got spare keys. Like, if I lose this whole thing, okay, sorry, my fault. Other people around here will have, you know, keys to the facility here. My brother has his house key. My friend has his house key. My parents can make me another house key, right? So... Um, you know, there's a difference between a spare key and the only copy of a key, right? I lose this key ring, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to just push my car around everywhere. Like, I can't, like, this is the only copy of this key. It's the only thing that I have to, to access my car, right? So there's a difference between a spare key and a single copy of our key. And so as we're reading this passage, we're like, Jesus, he holds this key. What, what he holds this key of David, what is this? Like, is David, like, his best friend? Is this, like, his bro? Or is this, like... Maybe a key to, like, the temple or something. Like, what, what is this key that he has? And we're talking about a biblical key. When the Bible's talking about the key, they're saying this. A key is the ability to make binding and lasting eternal decisions on behalf of the king. So the key to the kingdom is the ability to make a decision on behalf of the king. So as we look at this key that Jesus holds, this key of David, we realize that this is a very, very significant key, and there's only one copy of it. This key does not have any spares. See, in the Bible, the key of David, David, in 2 Samuel 7, was promised a son, an heir, a child, someone who would sit on his throne that would reign on his throne forever that he'd be this eternal king, that all the nations would come to him, that there would be peace in his time. He says this, he says, I will raise up your descendant after you and I will establish his kingdom. This is God talking to David. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This key that Jesus holds, this key of David, is the key to the kingdom of God. This is the key to eternal life. Jesus here, as he's saying this about himself, he's quoting a promise 
about this eternal king that was made about him long before. In Isaiah 22, 22, it'll sound familiar. It says this, I will place on his shoulders, this is God talking about this eternal king, the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. Just as you We've talked about earlier as you experience that person that like has your fate in their hands, that their yes or no is like an open or closed door. Jesus has the key to the kingdom of God. He has the key to eternal life. And those that he says open like you're in, nobody can shut that door. And for those that he says, no, you're not in, nobody can open that door. He is the only one who can open the door of the kingdom of life. There is no spare key. There is no back door. There's no side entrance. There's no window to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. And not only this, as we, uh, as we hear this, we should flash back to the opening uh, chapter of Revelation. Chapter one, John has this vision. He sees Jesus in all of his glory. And one of the things that he sees, and this is Jesus saying this, he says, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus not only has the eternal key to life, he has the keys to death. He literally has the authority. Jesus has the authority over life and death. Jesus has the key. He's the only key. But here's the thing. As we as that weight sinks in, as there's only one copy of the key to life and the key to death, and Jesus holds the key. The holder of the key is very significant to the door, right? Like if I was an untrustworthy key holder, if I was gonna sneak in and steal people's dogs, which again, I've been tempted to do, right? That would be an untrusty key holder, right? Just as you were, you know, we're talking about like, the person that you're putting your fate, your hands of your fate into, right? And you're standing before, you're doing your senior boards and you know for sure that one of the people on the panel like hates you, like has it out for you. It's gonna be a bad day, <laughs> right? The, the trustworthiness of that person that's deciding your fate has a lot to do with it. So is Jesus trustworthy? Is Jesus trustworthy? If he holds the keys to life and death, is he trustworthy? Can we trust him with it? And so he says this, the words of the Holy One, the true one. The Holy One, the true one. The one is the key to David. We see that Jesus is so faithfully good. He is so good. He's not shady. There's no shadow or darkness in him. There's no evil. He doesn't have it out for you. He's not giving you good things and then secretly trying to like thwart your life. He's so good. He's, he's holy and he's true. He's true. He's unchanging. He's dependable. If we know that he's good, we know that he's true, which means he won't change from being good. Jesus has the authority and his authority can be trusted. He holds the key to life and death. And at the end of it all, just like these churches, the final say comes down to what you and I think about Jesus. And so as we look at our lives, we have to ask ourselves, ask ourselves who and what are we trusting in? What are we resting on to give us the final say? 
Are we hoping that our achievements or our charisma or our popularity or our reputation is gonna have the final say at the end of time? Is some kind of career path or some kind of life uh, goal that you have, is is it gonna have the final say? Does it have the power to have the final say? There's only one key. And Jesus holds that key. Are we trusting in Jesus? The Church of Philadelphia was experiencing this situation where we talked about people inside the church, people who are claiming to be God followers, were telling them that they weren't qualified for the kingdom of heaven. They attempted to take the keys. He says this. Um, Let's look at verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. There's these these Jews that are saying, they, they think they hold the kingdom keys, right? They think that they hold access to the kingdom of God, that they are in charge of the synagogue, that uh, they get to decide who comes in and out. And this church is facing uh, this reality that these religious leaders, these people are literally trying to close the door for them. I mean, imagine, imagine being a Christian in Roman Philadelphia at this time. Like whether or not you have a statue of Apollo on your front yard, could determine if you could buy and trade in the marketplace, right? You put a cross on your front yard and the grocery store doors are closed to you. You can't get in, you can't live, you can't feed your family. You're just trying to survive. And then you go to these people that say that they worship God, that they follow God, and you try to go to the synagogue to like hear the word preached and to learn about the Bible and they go, whoa, you're not Jewish enough to be here. You can't be qualified for the kingdom of God. And they shut the doors of the synagogue on your face. These people were facing closed doors at the grocery store, closed doors at the church. And so what does Jesus say to them? He says, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. His response to him is like, so what? So what? You can't get in the synagogue. Don't even worry about it. They're the synagogue of Satan. They don't even worship me. They don't even follow me, right? Who cares if you can get in the synagogue or not? I, the only key holder to the kingdom of heaven, have given you an open door. And I say you belong in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus holds the key and he says this. He says, I know your works. I know that you have but little power, but yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In the midst of struggle and persecution and trial and all these issues facing opposition from the outside and the inside, they find that they must hold on to the word. And so though Jesus holds the keys, we hold on to the word. Remember, he says, I know your works. I know that you have little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We hold on to the word as Christians. I mean, living where we do is like trying to navigate in a tumultuous sea, right? Living in enemy territory, living in the culture that we're trying to navigate. We don't know which way is up or down. We're trying, it's like trying to navigate in a storm like this. And we're like, I, I don't know which way is up. But as Christians, we say like the word of God is like our GPS, right? And it's better than Google Maps 
and Apple Maps, whichever battle you fight in there, right? It's better than that because it doesn't only just tell me where to go or how to live my life, but it actually literally is redirecting my very heart. Like my desires begin to change to what God desires. My values begin to change to the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden you're looking around in your little culture and you're like, wait, like my allegiances are different. Like what I worship is different than what they worship. We hold on to the word. And so I ask you, what is your relationship? What's your relationship with the word of God? This church was holding on to the word because not only, it's easy. It's easy when someone who's like blatantly an atheist or blatantly against God to be like, spot the lies. It's so much harder when people who are claiming to be Christians, claiming to be God followers are telling you lies. Can you spot the truth from the lies? Can you, can you spot the truth from the lies? This isn't just a Pastor Sam thing. This isn't just a Courtney thing. This isn't just a, oh, my leaders will get me. I'm okay thing. It says, can you spot the truth from the lies? What is your relationship with the word of God? Each and every one of us needs to know truth from lies. We need to be able to spot the truth from the lies. And we do this together in a couple ways. One, right here, right now, why do you think that the, the preaching of God's word is like the central focus of these gatherings? Like, why are a bunch of teenagers gathering around listening to this ancient book? It's because we need the word, we need the truth. And we speak it to each other and we tell it to each other, but we need it in each of us. What is your relationship with the word of God? Is it like an eight ball? That when you're like, Lord, should I apply for this college? Dang it, <laughs> right? Is it, is it just the eight ball? Is it like a book of happy words? We're just like, I hate my life right now. Jesus loves me, yes, right? Is that what it is? Or is it your very life? Do you read it? Do you memorize it? Is it engraved in your soul? Like how well do you know the word of God? How well can, if your friends say like, man, I think this about myself, can you respond to them with biblical truth? How well do you know the word? This church held on to the word of God and they saw that as they learned the truth, that the truth was gonna be revealed about them. In the end, it didn't matter what those Jews were thinking of. It didn't matter what those who claimed to worship God but didn't said about them because, because they held on to the truth. Jesus says, they'll learn. They'll learn that I've accepted you, that you truly are welcome to the kingdom of God, that I have loved you. Before I move on, I just, I love this line right here. It says, I know that you have little power. Christians in here, I know, I know that it's really hard <laughs> to live in a place where everybody wants you to be something else. Where you don't look like the people, you don't act like the people at your school. You live a different life. You have a different value. You feel isolated. <clears throat> Luckily, it doesn't depend on our strength. He says, I know you have little power but Jesus holds the key and he will keep us as we hold on to his word. Those of you who are like not Christians in here, this is part of what we do. We're truth proclaimers, we're truth holders. 
And we want to be a people where if you don't follow Jesus, like what you experience here is a good amount of love and care and welcome. And that you hear us say over and over again, at the end of your life, who gets the final say? And will it be Jesus? Will it be Jesus? So as Jesus holds the key, we believe that Jesus holds the key to life and death. We hold on to the word. We hold on to the word. And what is the end result for the faithful? What is the end result for those who persevere? Let's check this out. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've seen this last chunk. That is, Jesus holds the key and we hold on to the word that those who overcome, that those who persevere, the faithful are given an unshakable home. As we've said before, Revelation, uh, it, it's, it's hit us in the face. It's, it's made us aware of the fact that a day is coming when the Lord is gonna look down on the earth and he will see either the righteous or he will see the wicked. And the righteous will be those who are literally like in Christ. They're like hiding in Christ. When he looks down, he sees Christ and he sees Christ's righteousness over your life. That those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, that's what he sees. And then there are those that have refused to surrender their lives to Christ. And as he looks down, he sees everything that we see in the mirror every day, right? Our wickedness and our sin. And the day is coming where it says the hour of trial that will come on the whole world. But he says this to those who have kept his word. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you. Those who are in Christ are, are kept in Christ. We hold on to his word and he keeps us. It doesn't mean that we won't experience suffering or trial or issues. But at the end of it all, when, when Jesus looks down on the earth, he will see those who have kept the word as the righteous. He gives us comfort to them. He says, I'm coming soon. He tells them, I'm coming soon, so hold fast. Hold fast and persevere. And to those who persevere, receive this crown, this victor's crown at the end of it all. To the victor goes the crown, right? And he says, don't let anybody take it from you. These are those, he says, hold fast what you have. Again, this is the church that holds on to the word, that will hold on to it through trial, through situations that attempt to throw them off guard, to turn them away from the truth, to try to teach them something else. They're holding fast the word. And as they hold on to that, Jesus is holding on to them. He's keeping them to the end of the time that they will not suffer so greatly that they will be out of Christ's protection, but he's with them. And then, this is what happens for the one that overcomes. He says, for the one that overcomes, who makes it to the end, who remains faithful to his word. He says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. 
Remember those Jews that were saying, like, dude, you can't come into the synagogue. Like, you're not good enough for God. You have to stay out of that. He's like, again, Jesus is like, forget that. Like, I'm making you a pillar, a pillar in my kingdom that you are stable, that you are sound, that you are, you are unmovable from my home, from my kingdom. It's the same thing he said before. He's like, I've opened this door to you for those that are faithful in the word. The door is open to you. Nobody can shut that door to you. And he says, I'm making you a pillar in my home and my kingdom and never shall I go out of it. This is a promise for God to be with us, for us to be with him in this eternal life for the chaos and the brokenness we feel all the time to be over, right? To be with God and his kingdom in peace. And what's the, uh, what's the proof that this is sure? Like a name brand, like a proper name brand, like isn't there a thing, I'm about to again show my ignorance here, with like, um, is it collectible hats that have like the actual like holographic sticker? Nobody's shaking their head at me. No? Not a thing? 2010? Oh, oh man. Well, all right, I tried. But like a name brand, right? Like a true name brand where this is like the real deal. Jesus, Jesus puts his name on the faithful. And the three names that he puts on is like sealed, unmovable, unshakable. He says, I'll give you the name of my God, right? The name of Yahweh is like, they are God's people, Right, he says, give the name of my city of my God. They belong in the kingdom of God. It's like the ultimate passport. They belong there. They can't get out. And he says, I will put my own new name, which we hear Jesus talk about at the end of Revelation. And so for this church here, for this church in Philadelphia who were fighting oppression, they're fighting persecution from the outside and the inside, and they're asking, how, how, do I remain faithful when it hurts, when I'm struggling? Like, what do I do? How do I remain faithful? How do I continue? How do I make it another day? How do I make it another hour when I can't even handle this moment, right? It says, first of all, Jesus holds the key. Trust in him. He has an open door for you. And church, hold on to the word of God because those who remain faithful are with him. And so as he concludes his letter here to the Church of Philadelphia, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And for those of us who have an ear, let us hear this. Hold on. Hold on. Keep holding on. This life, this suffering, the pains that we feel do not last forever. Jesus has promised I'm coming soon. And when I do, for those who have held on, they will be like pillars in my kingdom. They will be firmly fixed with me forever. Hold on, students. Hold on. When you're getting mocked for having a Bible in your backpack, hold on. When you're getting mocked for not following that Instagram account because you know that you shouldn't be looking at what's on there and you get mocked for it, hold on to what you know is true. When you're being asked to go do things that you know you shouldn't do, when you're being asked to have your affections turn away from the only true living God, hold on. Hold on to the word of God. Hold on to the word of God. Help each other hold on to it. Speak truth to one another. 
when the days get rough and you don't think you can make it another day, when you're not even sure you can make it another hour, hold on to the word of God. Hold on to his truths because he's holding on to you. And he's the one that has the keys. He has the final say. And he has a door that is open for you. So let us hold on to the truth, knowing that our future is founded and fixed in him. So tonight, as the band comes up, I want us to be challenged as citizens. As citizens, we have this core value that we prioritize biblical truth. We prioritize biblical truth. It's one of our core values. This is why, again, it's the central focus of our gatherings together. It's why we speak truth to one another. It's why we read our Bibles. And so in your notes there, at the very bottom of your notes, you have uh, a printed copy of Psalm 1. And as I pray for you guys, like, this is part of the prayer that I pray for you guys. Specifically, you'll see right there, verse 2, is that we would be people who delight in God's law, meaning God's word, that we would delight in the word of God, and on his word we would meditate day and night. And so as citizens this week, I challenge you, in the next week, next month, however much of a, however fast it takes you to memorize things, memorize Psalm 1. Get it in your soul. Get it in your heart. Let's make it a habit of being people who get the word so deeply ingrained to the very fabric of our being that it's so obvious when we see lies and we can see the truth because it's in us. Let's be people who hold on to the word, who hold on to the word of God. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that in seasons of joy and plenty, it gives us words of rejoicing. God, we thank you that in seasons of hardship, God, it gives us words for perseverance. In cloudiness, God, it gives us a picture of who you are. Lord, I pray that we'd be people who hold on to your word, who hold on to your truths. God, would you light within us a passion of fire to know you, God, I pray that as we discipline ourselves to read your word, to memorize your word, that we would see this fire beginning to stoke in our hearts of this love for God, of this love for your word. God, would you help us to speak the truth to one another when a brother or a sister is, comes to us with a struggle or an issue. God, may we be people who can respond with the only thing that will help them, the truth. And God, we thank you us we thank you that you are the keeper of the key that you are the key keeper of eternal life and that you are good and that you are true and we can trust you and may we hold on to you as we trust you with our future and our lives God we put our lives in your hands for the final say and we thank you Because of that, we have an eternal, fixed, immovable, unshakable home in your kingdom. We don't deserve it, God, but we thank you for it. God, would you reshape our hearts? Would you redirect our hearts? Would you remind us of the things that matter? God, would you help us to love you?
It's in your name we pray.